0: You're about to listen to Office Hours with me, Georgia Howe. This is a weekly companion series to PragerU's popular five-minute videos, where I explore various political and cultural topics with PragerU experts, asking questions and digging deeper to bring you perspectives that you may not hear in a traditional college classroom. To watch the video version of this series, click on the link in the description or go to dailywire.com. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm Georgia Howe with The Daily Wire. Today, we sit down with former member of Antifa and author of Behind the Black Mask, My Time as an Antifa Activist, Gabriel Nadalis. Gabriel's newly released PragerU video is titled, I Used to Be Antifa, where he walks us through what led him to join the infamous group, as well as the thinkers that changed his life and turned him toward conservatism. If you haven't seen his video yet, you can find a link to it in the description below. Let's jump right in. Gabriel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you because your story is actually uh, really reminds me of my own. And I think there's a lot of lefties who kind of relate to what you went through.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you're exactly right. As a matter of fact, my email, every time that I go on on a show like yours, I get random different people saying, you know, I used to be part of the radical left. And I can't believe I was doing all of these things. As a matter of fact, I have a call with somebody who was involved with BAM in the early 2000s. Now, BAM is one of the organizations, Antifa organizations, that tried to, that essentially orchestrated a riot at the Venture Shapiro event at UC Berkeley in 2017. You know, and all of these different people, they they've seen what Antifa has grown into, and they feel like it's a time to speak out and to put a stop to Antifa violence.
0: In the video, you said that you were recruited, but you also described Antifa as a very informal organization. Can you talk for a minute about how you became involved?
1: So I I like to say that I was kind of recruited into it because um, it was around March of 2011 when I first went to my first Antifa rally. It was to organize against the National Socialist Movement. And I was just a kid at the time. I was 17. And I remember, I like to say that I was recruited because that's where I met other Antifa activists, members of the Anti-Racist Action, as well as uh, uh, Direct Action Claremont, which are local to Southern California. And I was recruited because they were like, hey, you know, let's come with us. We're going to do more things. And they invited me to anarchist book fairs, animal rights protests. That's kind of how I was recruited into those circles. But at the same time, that would make it seem that every single Antifa group out there is very formal. Some of them are incredibly informal. But that's not to say that there are some groups that do have more official membership and they do keep things more tightly and closely uh, um, tied together, such as Portland Antifa. I mean, they're the way that they recruit and they allow people into their membership. They have votes. They have leaderships. It's much more organized than people realize.
0: That's really interesting because the way you describe Antifa, it sounds like a very grassroots organization. But I imagine there were probably centralized places where you'd be receiving your information from. So, for example, like how would you find out about protests that were coming up?
1: The interesting thing is that people ignore the anarchist history in the United States. And uh, I mean, early, since the early 1900s, there's been anarchist groups. A lot of them foreigners from Spain or from different places, in, uh coming to America and causing chaos. Essentially, I'm very familiar with the Los Angeles and the Southern California anarchist culture because that's kind of my where my roots began as being part of the anarchist culture. I know that in San Pedro, California, there's actually, and this, I talk about, a little bit about this in my book. Well, there's a monument to the iww well the iww is still a workers union that's active internationally today well they have a rich history of uh, anarchists and communists coming together to organize and specifically in los angeles and those establishments they create a safe harbor for antifa type groups today but not only that there's also different communists or anarchist bookshops all throughout the country there's one in san diego There's Revolution Books, again, in Berkeley, which I'm very familiar with. And in Seattle, I'm sure there's a bunch. These little hubs are like centers for Antifa meetups and other anarchists who are friendly to the Antifa mission.
0: How would you describe the average Antifa member in terms of demographic?
1: Well, interestingly enough, one of the reasons that a lot of you see a lot of Antifa members being long hair and kind of like the punk rock kind of thing is because American Antifa actually started from the punk rock movement in the 1980s. They used to be called the anti-racist action. And they used to uh, tour around with uh, with punk groups to go beat up uh, Nazis. In the 2007, the Portland Anti-Racist Action was the first American Antifa group to change their name from ARA to Antifa. And then several different of them followed suit. That's why you have a lot of those like, you know, green hair. I used to have green hair, multiple different colors, actually. And they kind of go side by side. Modeling, though, they've expanded that. And it's no longer just about the punk culture. There's also a lot of the hip-hop culture that I've heard about. And as a matter of fact, there's a, a left-wing academic, his name is Mark Bray, in his book, he describes more of the hip-hop anarchist culture. They The purpose of this is not really to, is actually to use culture as a vehicle to spread their anarchist ideologies. So all of a sudden you're infiltrated into this culture, you're brought in from the culture, and then you stay for the anarchist ideologies.
0: In the video you also kind of mentioned this about how they frame the name so anti-racist or anti-fascist it kind of piggybacks on very legitimate movements and sentiments so for example the civil rights movement is that correct
1: you essentially create a narrative that if you're with us we're the good guys and they're the bad guys you have the anti-racist action that means you're against races antifa you're against fascism the earth liberation front you must be protecting the earth animal liberation front, you must be protecting animals. And it's all the same, it's all just a name. It's just like in Congress, you often have these bills that say, oh, like protect the second amendment or you know, help workers and you read the text of the bill and it has nothing to do with what the bill is intended to do but it's just a, a, a name that they can say, we're part of the people who fight fascism. But it's not true because oftentimes, the vast majority of times, especially in modern Antifa, The people who they're fighting are not actual fascists. They're just people who are conservative or even sometimes liberals, because one of the things that the mainstream media gets wrong is that Antifa, they think that Antifa is only fighting against conservatives. No, they're fighting against anyone who has any classical liberal ideologies that includes Democrats and Republicans alike, because Antifa, many Antifa members acknowledge there, there are an illiberal movement.
0: In the video, you kind of talk about the name Antifa and how that is a rhetorical trick in that it frames your opposition as pro-fascist, which functions as a soft sensor because it makes people stop listening to them. Yeah.
1: It's essentially a way to dismiss them. It's like, "Why are you listening to them? They're racist." And it's like, "Well, are they the vast majority of the time these people who they are they're accusing of being racist? They're not." I mean, I saw I caught, I caught a clip on MSNBC. I guess it was somebody from the Biden administration who said, "We have to remember what Antifa is. They're fighting fascism. And if you're not pro Antifa, then you're fa. You're a fascist." And it's yeah. like, "No, that is one of the most simple logic that you can do. You can you could just say that with absolutely anything, but, you know, the, the, the proof is in the details. And every time that you have Antifa violence, they're not fighting actual fascists. They're just fighting regular Americans.
0: In the video, you talk about some pretty destructive behavior. I want to take a look at that for a second.
2: The fight against fascism is only won when the capitalist system is smashed. And they mean smashed breaking windows, tearing down statues, throwing Molotov cocktails, looting and burning businesses, and harassing and physically assaulting people.
0: Was there ever a time when you were participating in these Antifa events that you looked around and you felt uncomfortable with what was going on? Like, this is wrong?
1: You know something? I always talk about this experience, specifically in Pomona, California. Um, There was three other people involved and I was right in front of this. Um, one of my friends was getting arrested, and then two people who were right in front of me—they looked at it around and they saw no other cops. One of them went up to them, it pushed them. The other guy punched them and helped my friend out to come back into the black block, which is essentially how we get away, uh, away from arrest. I, at the time, I remember thinking, "Wow, that is so cool! You know, we're actually fighting the police." And now looking back, I'm like, I can't believe I was a part of that group who would just hurt an individual. Because, I mean, my friend deserved to get arrested. <laughs> you know, he was essentially trying to create a riot. and uh, I, and I But nonetheless, we are very groupish. When you're in Tifa you're a groupish organization or a movement. You take care of your own and anybody who tries to uh, criticize you, they, they are the enemy.
0: Well, I'm also thinking about the private businesses that were destroyed and how that affects the regular everyday totally uninvolved people how did you feel about that
1: in my book one of the things that i do reveal is the fact that i felt incredibly comfortable when i threw a rock into a mcdonald's window and it broke and shattered you know and i felt so alive thinking that yes like i'm hurting the corporation but what most people don't realize is that when you hit a business the top executives whether it be a walmart or target they're not going to feel anything who you're hurting are those employees who are not going to go into work the next day are going to miss out on like whatever, however long it takes to repair the shop or the the, the store, whether it be a week. I mean, and I believe it was in Seattle. They just opened their Apple store. Apple doesn't really care about that. But it was several months where people just did not have a paycheck. And especially under a, a pandemic where you have all these tyrannical governors who are just shutting down everything. People need a job and Antifa is not helping by burning down their their sources of living.
0: So in the video, it sounded like you had a pretty dramatic change in point of view. Let's take a look at that, and then I want to ask you a question about it.
2: Joining Antifa was the worst decision of my life. How did I get out of it? Like anyone who gets out of something bad, I encountered something good. The very system that I had sought to destroy, friends, people who turned out to be my real friends, pointed me to challenging thinkers like Milton Friedman, Thomas Sowell, and Ben Shapiro, and eventually organizations like the Leadership Institute and PragerU. What they said just made sense, and offered me a better way to live. Antifa and the radical left did not care about building a better society, they cared about control. They could only offer me more anger, bitterness, and unhappiness.
0: And was that an overnight change, or was it more of a slow evolution? And were there experiences along the way that made you start questioning the narratives of the left?
1: There's two different transitions I, that I really had. One of them was an overnight thing that I can really talk about, which is my circle of friends. The other one, though, was my my ideological conversion. When it comes to my ideology, it was a very slow transition. I'm going to try to make this story about like my overnight transition where I as best as I possibly can, because it's a little crude, I will have to say. Uh, as I mentioned, um, modern, uh, Antifa comes from the anarcho-punk movement. Well, after a few months of me not talking to them, I decided to go to one of their shows. And one of the shows, uh, they're typically in backyard gigs and in the corner of this backyard gig, there was a couple who were committing a lewd act and it's kind of gross. Let's just put it at that. Well. The owner of the house got involved and then everybody was just kind of thinking like, well, what do you expect? Well, and then I saw one of my friends going up to the, um, the, the guy and you know, trying to call calm the situation. And I ran up to this guy. I'm telling my friend, like, don't get involved. You know, uh, we're not in the right, let's just leave this alone. And that's when I realized that the couple who was committing a lewd act, they were also my friends and we got into this huge fight with the entire everyone in the house and this was a gang affiliated house in Southern California. So it, it was bad. I mean, at one point, like I, I got stomped by a bunch of cholas and like in the front yard. Um, and I detail very, it would, it's a very graphic story. If people want to hear the whole story, it's in my book. Uh, I don't want to really want to sit on, uh, on the media. Um, but I remember that at the end of that, there were so many people battered and I just looked around my, and once we regrouped somewhere else, that I just thought to myself, I don't want to be with these people because these type of people attract a lifestyle that I did not want to be a part of. And that's when I decided to cut off all of these people from my life. Not not to say that that's what made me a conservative because I was still a liberal leftist from thereafter, but that's the day or the night that I decided that I wanted nothing to do with these people at all.
0: I think there's... um a sense that when we're in this like left-wing soup where everyone around you is left-wing, you're kind of taught that um, to even listen to the other side makes you complicit in their evil. And it makes you kind of shut your ears and not ever be open to hearing what conservatives have to say. And I I don't know if you had this experience, but for me, it was a weird like total reality warp when I actually took the time to listen to what conservatives were saying, and I discovered, wow, they are none of the things I was told. Not bigots, not racists, yeah. none of it.
1: No, I mean, I had the exact same thing I talk about in my book how I was introduced to Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell, and I found them great. But at the same time, I wanted to discuss them. And I say, that was a, for being an anarchist at the time, that was the very first time that I was called a capitalist pig just for asking questions of my friends. All of a sudden, I became this enemy because I didn't agree with what they had to say or not even agreed with them or disagreed with them. I just had questions. I saw holes that I wanted to get more information about, but I became their ideological enemy in those conversations.
0: Gabriel, thank you so much for joining the program.
2: Thank you, I appreciate it very much.
0: If you want to hear more from Gabriel Nadales, pick up his book, Behind the Black Mask, My Time as an Antifa Activist. And that's the end of today's Office Hours. Make sure to tune in next week for our next conversation with a new PragerU presenter. I'm Georgia Howe, thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, if you'd like to see the video version of this show, or if you haven't seen this week's PragerU five minute video, make sure to click on the link in the description below, or head over to dailywire.com. We'll see you next Monday for a new interview with another PragerU presenter.